I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and I join you today from the Purple Patch Center in San Francisco. And as we dive into this week's show, I would just like to take this opportunity to reiterate what I mentioned last week. If you enjoy the show, and then please subscribe and even go on a little bit of a recruiting drive for others to also embrace the education and fun. And of course, a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen is greatly appreciated. And for you guys that really love the show, but also enjoy a little bit of posting of life on the old interweb, yet all that social media stuff, don't be shy. Share it. It helps others find the show. And yes, yes, I'm talking about you, Susie Mora, in one of my favorite countries in the world, Colombia. But with all that mentioned, I think we should get on with this week. You see, I have a quick fix. I've got a lovely vial of snake oil. It's going to cure all of your ills. I have the magic solution to your performance. And it comes in a single word, recovery. And as I sell you this, I'm told that I'm called the recovery coach. Are you buying? Well, you should be, but not because I'm a quack or that recovery is some quick fix to all of your performance woes, but you should be buying as nailing your recovery is an equally important part of the equation in performance as all of that very important and critical, consistent, hard, hard work that you put in, in order to pursue excellence. And so I thought today we would dive into the word recovery. I'm going to break down a couple of recovery-focused case studies. We're going to filter through some of the noise out there and confusion around recovery and define the important pieces for you. And finally, I'm going to lay out a little framework to help you dial in recovery all into that time-starved life of yours. And so today, this one, it's for the athletes, but it's also for the lifestyle enthusiasts. It's for corporate leaders, it's for employees, it's for parents. Yes, we are all going to gain from nailing recovery. But first, let's get on with week three of a brand new section of the show, which I'm enjoying very much, I have to say, as I get to hear and learn from you guys, the listeners, as well as a pool of our own athletes. It is titled, Who the Bleeding Eck Are You? And this week, it's an uplifter, Jenny. Now, I'm not going to use Jenny's last name because she asked me to withhold, but the story is too helpful for me not to share. It's going to be helpful for you. And so let me tell you a quick and dirty version of Jenny's situation. And this isn't about winning races or qualifying to world championships or, in fact, anything competitive, but it is important. So let's frame and tell, let me tell you a little bit about Jenny. She arrived to Purple Patch four years ago, and she was, self-declared, tired, a mother of three, working, admittedly out of shape. And she knew that she didn't have energy. 
she was missing purpose in sport, but she couldn't get to find her path to transition to that place of energy and accomplishment that she was looking for. And when I met Jenny, it was in March, and she'd kicked off a new year that year with her own commitment to begin to exercise. And she started it with a lofty goal, a marathon by June. That was the quest. And so the year kicked off and away she went. And as she came in March, she was in a word failing. She had not managed to achieve consistency. She didn't really have any traction. And in fact, the marathon, the big, hairy, audacious goal that was there to inspire her ultimately just became a monkey on her back. And so in the diagnosis process that I like to go through, I noticed that Jenny was really a classic case of high aspiration but was lacking the simple path to move herself to a positive place. It's all very well me going on about BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, but when the BHAG becomes a route to paralysis, it isn't exactly helpful. And in chatting to Jenny, I felt that she was stuck. She was stuck in a place where the chosen sporting goal was just a little bit too much too soon. And she didn't have a support network. She didn't have accountability. And so she was really powerless to even move herself in a positive direction. So what did we do? Well, we did an intervention. And it was simple. Jenny, let's forget about the race for now. And instead, let's pursue some habits anchored around health. And once we've nailed those, and then maybe we think about racing. And so I simply asked Jenny to do three things. Number one was to commit to once weekly a personal trainer. And that personal trainer would prescribe one or two at-home additional routines around strength and activation. Very simple, but it was a stake in the ground and it created a little bit of accountability, of course. Secondly, Jenny was to join my bike class. Now, at that time, it was all in person. It would have been even easier for if nowadays, as it has, you can do it at home from video. But at that time, the bike class was twice weekly, and we had absolutely no expectations on physical performance. All she had to do was arrive and do, then go home. So suddenly, in this framework, Jenny had three or four weekly sessions. The third and final thing I asked Jenny to do was to connect with a friend and commit to two walks each week up to 60 minutes. Now, each of these, they could run if they wanted to in certain sections, but there were no intervals and absolutely zero expectations. It was all built around a little bit of social and, of course, a little bit of accountability. And that created what we might call a framework. Now, we also shifted a few habits around nutrition, started to prioritize sleep a little bit, but for the initial couple of months, that was about the program. And so what were the results? What happened? Well, what she'd established was routine and accountability, but she also had connection. She had joy. She shared her journey with a friend also with a new group of highly diverse athletes, some of which were very, very good pro level, but none of which cared less how good Jenny was, and she managed to get consistent. And within about a month of this, Jenny was asking for more. I need a little bit more structure. And within four months, 
She was onto a classic training program. And before the end of that first year, Jenny had finished two half marathons and her very first marathon. And that marathon, six hours. Brilliant. This year, she broke four hours in COVID with a friend in an unofficial event of two. Hey, she got top 10 in her age group. And so I asked Jenny for the sake of this show, how are you now? And she kept it to single words. And wow, I wish that I had the capacity to keep things to single words, folks. But there were four simple words, happy, energetic, present, and driven. Hmm. Sounds to me like Jenny is a performance hero. But all she did was get going. She sourced an environment that created a touch of accountability, a little bit of joy, and a direction. And it wasn't obsessive. It wasn't a simple addition in life. And it integrated into life. And so for you guys that are on the edge, looking, dreaming, be like Jenny and perform better in life, sport, and health. It is all there for our taking. And now, deep breath out. I think it's time to bring you out of the shadows, Barry. Your role here at Purple Patch has expanded. Don't call it a promotion, but I will publicly say to the listeners at home that your camera work on those live video bike classes has been exemplary. And I'm proud of you for taking on a task that you didn't have before, that you didn't know well, but you grew into it so well. Exceptional. I'm excited that you've agreed to take on a new position of camera operator for all live Purple Patch coaching sessions from the center in SF. But a word, and I want to do this publicly, Barry, don't forget your roots, your very humble beginnings. Remember where it all began, and please don't turn your back on those life points. And so I ask you, strum and sing with gusto today. We need you, ladies and gentlemen, with Barry. It is his time because it's Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Word of the Week. And this week, the Word of the Week is... You. Yes, you. You. It's all about you. Not them, not him, her, no one else. You. Sounds great. You like things to be about you, but in what context, you ask? The answer is your performance. If you have big ambition, big goals, your results driven, Make it about you and your performance. Let me give you an example. A pro might want to win the world championship. They might want to make the Olympic team. They might want to win a medal at the Olympic Games. And all of those are inspiring, wonderful goals. In fact, they would be incredible achievements that would provide immense satisfaction and pride to that pro. And all of us, I think, listening can relate to the dream of winning an Olympic medal. 
But this isn't the focus of the athletes who actually have the opportunity, the realistic opportunity. The dream or the result might be the reminder occasionally when things get tough. It might pull the head from the pillow when the alarm glows off for just another early morning training session. But the focus and the driver of true performance typically arises from a focus on yourself, being the best that you can be, nailing the things that you can control in order to improve and to execute as intended. If you focus on the elements that make you become the best you can be, and then you perform to a better standard than you might even have believed possible. And so, anchor all of your decisions and all of your mental energy on what you can control, you. And if you do that, you have a much higher likelihood of the results that come out of that mindset being the optimal possible within the context of your life and your abilities. This mindset is empowering, it's controllable, and it is the path for you being the best version of your athletic self. And that is why the word of the week this week is you. And with that, let's get onto the couch and embrace a little bit of laziness. Let's dive into recovery. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes, and this week it is one of the most important words to us at Purple Patch, recovery. Why? Well, simply put, across all levels of sport and in so many situations in life, we tend to observe underperformance relative to the work put in. And so often the solution that unlocks that person's potential and their effectiveness is an emphasis not on adding more work, but instead integrating proper recovery. Now, I don't think there's a better example of the smart integration of recovery than by Purple Patch Pro athlete Chris Lieto. I began coaching Chris in 2008, and at the time he was 38, and he was already very, very good. He was the best rider in the sport, and he had a long list of achievements. He was already a great athlete, and he came to me wanting to unlock the potential in the final couple of years of his time at the top level of the sport, basically just trying to push across the edge and hopefully, ultimately, win a world title. And the diagnosis of Chris's situation was interesting. You see, he had a massive work ethic. He retained that passion until the end of his time at the pro level. But what had worked for him through his 20s and early 30s was still his solution that he was going to as he started to creep towards the age of 40. He piled on the miles and the hours, often exceeding well over 30 hours each week. And I also observed that he likely slightly underslept and under ate relative to his training demands. 
And what I saw was that he ultimately wasn't arriving at races just fit. He was arriving at races fit and fatigued. And so there was this lingering accumulation of fatigue on his maturing body. And so I was at a crossroads. The intervention was Chris with Chris was strong. In fact, it was so strong, it raised Chris's eyebrows. And it left me gulping a little bit because as a coach, I thought, goodness me, I hope my instincts are right here. You see, I asked Chris to take on a few things. The first was to reduce his training load every week significantly. I wanted him to add in a higher percentage in that reduced training load with easy training. So do less and go easier. But then to amplify the load and intensity of the key sessions. In other words, when we went hard, we brought the serious frying pan of doom. In addition to this, I asked Chris to prioritize recovery in all of its forms, sleep, high quality eating, eating, including an extra 1,000 to 1,500 calories more per day on many of his days of life, and bigger blocks of integrated full rejuvenation and clean out of training so that we could remain as fresh as we could at a musculoskeletal level, hormonal level, and also retaining mental freshness. The final backbone of it all, we wanted a complete commitment to strength, mobility, tissue work, and more. And across these areas, we had a lot of help. We had practitioners and therapists, such as the team at the Sports Medicine Institute, who ironically now we host at the Purple Patch Center in San Francisco. The results for Chris, a single word, dramatic. You see, he was still fit, but he was fresh, and he got faster. I think that was the point, yeah? Now, I've spoken many times about his most well-known results, the second place at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship, but there was so much more than that. Over the last two years, he did his fastest running off the bike. His bike splits improved. He won multiple 70.3 races with his lifetime fastest running, and he got second also at the 70.3 World Championships, once again pipped at the post by a certain Craig Alexander. You see, for Chris, fitness wasn't the limiter. And the work that he did in his younger years were not misguided or wrong. It's just that the solution to his next level wasn't adding in more work. As he matured, and this is the case for so many dedicated athletes, as he matured, he needed to unlock potential by absolutely amplifying the focus on recovery. And so his solution was being more pragmatic and allowing more of the hard work that was still necessary to actually marinate, giving space for adaptations to occur, for performances to bubble up. And so Chris Lieto's solution is actually exactly the path that many, many dedicated athletes need. But unfortunately, many of those athletes that need it don't have the courage to actually implement it. And this is important. Chris is a wonderful athlete because of all of his genetic gifts, but he had the courage to do this. And I don't think many could. And I believe it's why he rose from really, really good to truly world-class. But you might be listening and think, well, I don't do Ironmans. 
But the truth is you don't need to be chasing a world-class performance to benefit from recovery in the pursuit of your best performance in sport or life. And so let me provide another anchor case study today that has absolutely nothing to do with strict sports performance. Let me tell you about Ken. Now, Ken runs a business, so I'll withhold his last name, but he runs a business and he is highly committed to the path. And as a small business owner, I have massive empathy for Ken's situation and also for his passion and drive in basically building his life's work. Now, in, its, in addition to business, he also has a lovely family, two younger teenage daughters, and he actually strongly believes in a platform of health and fitness so that he can find vibrancy, longevity, high performance. But when I met Ken a couple of years ago, he was anything but vibrant. He was kind of tired. And this was a classic case of someone who intellectually embraced the importance of health and fitness and performance, but their big bucket of life, when we added exercise, overflowed with stress. And it overflowed enough to leave them in anything but a state of high performance. And ultimately, it wasn't sustainable. But this is so, so common. And the result in Ken's situation and for people like him, is that a feeling comes up where they're always playing catch up and they're driving hard in a life that is full of fog of fatigue. Ken was a prime example of this. And good on the guy, he came to me for help and he wanted to shift his training program. That was how he stated, I need to shift my training program, Matt to provide more optimal results. And his lens was, if I can get the plan right, if I can be a bit more specific, then I'm gonna to start to feel improvement. And in addition to this, he asked about, what's the best diet to be on? Because ultimately his belt line certainly didn't portray the emphasis of the good eating habits that he deployed. He wanted good energy, Improve belt line, improve sports performance. Now, I'm going to save you for the sake of this discussion on this show from the long and in-depth process that we went through, digging into every nook and cranny of schedule and life, training, sleep, nutrition, downtime, rest, and more. You see, we did a huge diagnosis with Ken, but it came up to this. Ken was leading a unsustainable life from a performance standpoint. He simply wasn't effective in the workplace, and it was likely due to operating under a blanket of fatigue. Many of the days, he was just fighting an uphill battle. All of the different components of his life just melted into each other. Family dinners were interrupted with work calls. Evenings were dominated from yet more office work. Even walks or runs were often paused so that he could check email or respond to clients. He had no space no breathing room, no chance to step away. Claustrophobia. Oof, I'm claustrophobic. I don't even like saying the word. And his solution before coming on board, being ready to make the change, was just to throw more work at the challenge. That was the only way that he saw out of it. But the true way out of it was to become an assassin of effectiveness. Now, I will say, just like Chris, Ken's solution to radical bravery 
it took some tough changes to his methods. And with Ken, I felt like it was important to paint a picture of the outcomes we were looking for. And these outcomes focused around becoming more effective, establishing control, feeling better energy, some positive body composition changes. And I know it sounds very utopian, but in fact, it was highly achievable. So what were the first things that we did, you ask? Well, let me list them because I've got them written down in his notes from two years ago. Number one, by the way, five things, super simple. Number one, fuel after exercise every time. If you're not sure why that's important, go back to the episode that we'll put in the show notes about fueling and how important that is from stress management and recovery. But post-workout fueling, that was number one. Number two, I asked him to implement the Sunday special. We've talked a lot about that on this show, but a time of planning. We'll get a little bit more into that later. Number three, I had him put rules around the time that he was working. In other words, I wanted to create some sacred moments, including family dinner, Saturday mornings, Sunday afternoons, in which he would not work. He would, quote, turn it off. Let's pause here. I'm a fitness coach, yeah? I help people perform. And so far, the three things that we've done with intervention is eat after exercise, do a bit of planning, and put some borders around when you're working. Hmm. Number four, we committed to sleep. And finally, number five, we put a little bit of structure around training with some priorities in certain sessions. Now, I want you to note that this wasn't about some heavy intervention of a new diet or a radical training approach. Instead, really what it was about for Ken to begin was to create clarity of where his time was being spent, some insight into scheduling, a few very simple habits to force rejuvenation and stress management, and ultimately create a path for him to build some positive habits. And I asked him for one single month. Just do this for a month. Your employees, your family, you can handle you for a month like this. And it took three weeks. Three weeks for him to be sold. And after six months, he never looked back. And the outcome over the long term, well, Ken's still running the business, and that's going better than ever. But right now, he isn't surviving. I'd say he's thriving because he's got control over it. He's on top of it. He's infusing the spirit of this into the whole of the team. He's actually helping them along this very same line of performance. There's been cultural improvement at the business because of the action that he has taken, the bravery of Ken in many ways. And he is improved in energy. He feels more present. And there's little doubt about his performance, his health, oh, or his waistline. He's very thankful as well. And so, these two little case studies paint a picture, the same spirit and lens as a world-class athlete that's trying to win a world championship can be applied to an everyday leader. And at the center point of all of this was the same word. Remember what we start with today? Recovery. You see, both of our case studies are really hardworking people. They're passionate. 
They're both chasing their own version of high performance. And they're both unlocking their performance, not by adding more onto the plate so that they can break down some mythical performance barrier. They're not embracing dogma or quick fixes. Instead, they're simply leaning into the power of recovery. And that is the thing. That's the key to unlock potential. Now, I keep saying this, but finally, I think it's worth us just sitting on this a little bit as well. In both of our cases, Chris Lieto and Mighty Ken, they both demanded bravery to execute. Immense bravery from a performance standpoint. Very challenging. And it is why... On the wall of the center in San Francisco, we have bright neon lights that say it takes courage. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it truly takes courage to recover. And so let's define it. What do I mean by recovery? It is much, much more than you putting your slippers on and your smoking jacket, stuffing your pipe, feet up, sitting by the fire, going, ah recovery. Now, I will say that's a wonderful pastime for a gentleman to pursue, but it goes well beyond that. It also goes beyond having a recovery shake or hopping onto a pair of compression boots or whatever your little latest tickle and fancy is. So I think that the concept of recovery actually begins with a state of mind and then it transfers to actions that are necessary for an athlete or a performance-minded enthusiast. And so let's frame recovery. You see, it's a catalyst. It's a catalyst for you to be able to do more. It's a catalyst for you to optimize the return of the effort that you put out. It's a catalyst for consistency, the word of last week's show. Compelling, eh? But these are true. Let's return to our story of Chris Lieto. I told you that he reduced weekly training load by about a third of his usual hours. And yet over the course of the year, he accumulated more training hours than ever before. Well, something don't add up, mate. Well, it's quite simple. It's because Chris was avoiding injury. He was establishing massive consistency. And for Ken, our integration of recovery had the same role and outcome. He had a shift from cramming every element of life into a very tight bucket, emerging it and colliding it all together. And instead, he transitioned to a more focused and deliberate take on performance. And with courage, Ken succeeded to involving. He carved out blocks of very hard work, but then committed to a framework that prioritized the elements of recovery that we're going to dive into in a second. And the results was that he became more effective. He ultimately managed to achieve more. You see, it's a worn out saying, but it remains forever important for me to remind you that it isn't how many hours you train or how many hours you spend at the office. It's about how effective you're being. And that comes out when you manage to create a healthy balance between the hard work and the recovery. So let's break it down. There are three main buckets, as I like to say, but buckets of recovery, each with a role to play. The first, training. In other words, integrating recovery into your overall approach to training on an annual basis, a phase of training, and a weekly basis. 
And this is about the development of training. And it's really what we mean when we say a, a smart and progressive training program. And so under this bucket, recovery includes proper season breaks or blocks of time with lower stress, an opportunity for you to turn your back on the rigors of the really hard work, in many ways kind of a vacation. It also includes in any phase of training, periodic blocks of three or four days when you allow a little adaptation to work through, a little bit of rejuvenation, both mentally and physically from the hard work. And that should occur every third week or so. And then finally, in any week of training, really embracing and integrating some lower stress days and sessions in which you're not chasing hard work or really long duration training. Instead, they're very, very low stress. Now, occasionally, you also could benefit from days where you really commit to turning it off completely and doing nothing in sport as well. Now, for athletes, the easy way to think about this is the fact that when you look at your overall training program, a really pretty high percentage of that training should be quite easy. Remember, we've often discussed soul-filling training. Well, here it is, folks. It's helpful for tissue resilience, but it also can facilitate recovery. And in work and life performance, this concept of integrating program recovery, well, it applies just as well. In fact, every high performer will yield more, and that's what we're after is a yield. They'll yield more if they program in serious blocks of rejuvenation into the schedule. So the old, oh, I'm on vacation, but it's really just transporting my work to a poolside, that doesn't facilitate or provide proper rejuvenation. A proper removal from the environment and work schedule is ultimately a catalyst for you to yield more over the long run. And we can integrate this into some periodic blocks of weekends or multiple days where you get to step away. And I would argue that every leader or worker benefits from turning work off weekly for an escape. And this isn't in order to create mythical balance. It's actually to enhance effectiveness. That's what we're looking to do. Effectiveness in the passion and the commitment of your work. And so that's what we think about with training and structural component of recovery. The second area of recovery anchors around key habits. And I like to label this lifestyle recovery. So what's under this bucket? Well, I'm not going to dig into the fine details, but the list includes all of the important elements that we think are habitual. Proper daily nutrition, post-exercise fueling, daily hydration, proper sleep quality and quantity, some naps and downtime, and even a personal escape. What is that for you? Well, for me, it's Scandinavian crime thrillers. For you, oh, I don't know, it might be model aeroplanes or train spotting in your favorite anorak or family time. But just something else that is soul-filling isn't training and provides an escape. Now, collectively, these habits, some of these, are some of the most common compromised elements 
of recovery. But they are a massive piece of the puzzle. Think about it in these terms. You might embrace these habits, proper nutrition, proper sleep, daily downtime, and a little bit of an escape. But you can still fail because of an absolutely terrible training program. On the flip side, you might have a wonderful training program, but you're doomed to failure if you ignore these lifestyle habits. Now, the good news in this is that most of these topics that we talk about is really simple. All you really have to do is value them, commit to them, and make them habitual. The vast majority of you guys listening do not need to embrace some voodoo diet or purchase some magic monitoring tool just to get the data. You just need to do it. You need to embrace it. Eat simply and well. Make sure that you fuel after exercise. Make sure that you ensure that your daily hydration is good. Commit to proper sleep. And it's going to amplify the results in work, in sport. And so it's really good news. And if you get these first two rights, a smart and appropriate training program that has integrated recovery and you support it with good habits, there's only one more category that we need to go through when it comes to recovery, and that's modalities, or as I like to say, all the things that you can pay for. Now, this is all your tools and tricks, massage, compression, ice, heat, e-stem machines, therapy tools, yada, yada, yada. And many of these are really valuable. Look, I'm an advisor for Adidas, a wonderful suite of tools and interventions for athletes. There are some that are kind of questionable, okay? But all of them, everything under this big bucket are completely useless if, if you don't dial in the first two categories, proper recovery and training and habits around your lifestyle. In fact, for athletes, a smart training program with lots of sleep and proper nutrition, you are almost there. And for lifestyle folks, well, if you have programmed space for downtime, you've got good sleep and opportunities to step away, and you're consistently moving the body with a few smart energy management habits in eating and hydration, you're almost there. Wow. Pretty good, huh? So the final section is how do you frame it? What's the right approach to really start putting this into action? We finish our jig on recovery with a path of integrating recovery. You cannot get there. You cannot optimize without valuing recovery. And by valuing, what I'm asking for is a commitment, a commitment to the process. So, in order for us to get to this place where you're really embracing it, you're valuing it, and you're saying, I'm going to actually take action on it, I recommend that you take a little quiet time and you really execute an audit on your own approach and your own experiences. If you're an athlete, do you feel like you're in control? Are you highly consistent? Do you have, what do we call it? performance predictability? Are you actually enjoying the process? And driving behind it, 
do you feel like you're progressing? And if you're more lifestyle focused, are you in your daily life, in your work life, being effective? Or do you feel like you're just keeping up, checking the box? Are you in a place that you're able to stay present and focus? And equal to that, are you successful in being able to turn off the work commitments and be truly present in other areas of your life? Now, once you've done this audit, I would encourage you to think through and almost do an audit of some of the habits. Truly, how are your eating habits? Your sleep? How do you do on hydration? Your movement, your training? You know the list. Because it's only with a little introspection and clarity that you can be in a place that you can take some honest action. Now, the second part of it is just that. It's the initial action. And I wouldn't be surprised by the end of your audit if you feel overwhelmed because the results might be a little bit of a slap in the face. In fact, for many, it's a case of, wow, I have got a lot of things to change. I need to evolve. But don't worry, this is normal. This is anticipated. But what we have to get to for the second part of this is what I would label intentional focus. Because you might come up with 20 things that you've managed to highlight as potential areas of improvement. But the real question is, what are the one or two or maybe three things that are simple and actionable for you? What can you change or adopt now? Let me give you an example. Chris Lieto's story from great to world-class or Ken's story from hard worker with fatigue to vibrant high performer. These interventions were not seismic. They were incremental over many months. In Chris's case, we first evolved a few key elements just initially. That included reducing the overall training hours in any given week, and committing to going really easy in the lower stress sessions. So that was a training intervention. And the only other thing we did was to start to fuel immediately following every workout. So that seems really actionable. I know that it became bigger and bigger, but first we said we're going to reduce, we're going to have a little bit of focus on going really easy, to help restoration and so you can hit the big sessions. And I want you to fuel after every workout. In Ken's case, we nailed it via, well, similar in terms of simplicity. He had a commitment to the Sunday special, so that established control and perspective. We created some borders and strict limits of differentiation so that he could actually turn work off. And then in his movement, he was already doing. The only thing we added was a little bit of fueling post-exercise. See, in some ways, he really was just like Chris. And so this gives you a little bit of perspective. And what you can ask is, what are the most important things that you are actually empowered to take action on, to either change or adopt right now, and then nail them? It's only two or three things at most. And nail them for weeks. Make them habits. Make them who you are. And don't try to change more. It is 
like we like to say, a journey. And so this is a huge component. The final component to go on this framework is to go on a quest. I really encourage you to go on a quest to find a little accountability and some support. Because when you start to integrate recovery, just like going on a big performance journey, it is something that is best not done alone. And so I encourage you to tell others of your approach and process, to bring someone else along for the journey. Why don't you give the gift of accountability, accountability that is going to ultimately go both ways. And also perhaps consider getting some coaching or support some other way. Become part of a community that supports this spirit that embraces the whole concept of recovery, not just whether you're tough enough to be hanging onto the rope. And then as you go on your journey, keep revisiting. Ensure that you course correct because you are going to struggle and consistently pause. <sighs> pause to self-reflect and adjust and get back on track when you fall off the wagon because you may well. This, this, this is the path. You can keep tweeting about how hard you're working or how big your sessions are. And you can keep sharing war stories of those tough, big, manly sessions that you've nailed. And you can retain your commitment and passion for the journey to excellence in both work, life, and of course, sport. But just remember this, folks. Any dipshit can work hard. The very best have the courage to recover. I hope that helps. We'll see you next time. Until then, take care. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers.